Hello and welcome to In Conversation With, a podcast of The Lancet Oncology. My name is Marcia and today I am joined by Dr. Eline Giraud and Dr. Elise Smolders from the Redboud University Medical Center in the Netherlands. We will be discussing their review on QT interval prolongation potential of anti-cancer and supportive drugs. So thank you both for agreeing to this podcast. And my first question is, the cardiac side effects of anti-cancer drugs have been studied in the past decades, although some are not fully understood. Your paper focused on QT interval prolongation. Can you please give us an overview of this issue for patients with cancer? Yes, of course. So, as you mentioned, some cancer drugs have the ability to prolong the cardiac repolarization, um, which is actually reflected by a prolonged QT interval on the electrocardiogram. So, one of the most severe consequences of a prolonged QT interval is a ventricular arrhythmia known as torsade de point. Uh, which could lead to sudden death. But whether or not patients develop a prolonged QT interval and subsequent arrhythmias is, however, impossible to predict. Well, we do, however, know that uh, the presence of some risk factors increases the chance of developing a prolonged QT interval. And examples of such risk factors may be the use of multiple QTC prolonging drugs at the same time, electrolyte disturbances, uh, you can think of hypokalemia, for instance, female gender um, or a high age. Um, and just to get back to your question, we indeed explain in our review that um, patients with cancer are prone for developing QT interval prolongation as they often use many drugs at the same time. And we can think of both anti-cancer and supportive drugs, um, but also drugs used for the comorbidities. So examples of such drug classes are antiemetics, um, antidepressants, analgesics, antifungals and antibiotics, and there are of course lots more. But in our review, we further explain which drugs in these drug classes could lead to acute interval prolongation and well, should thus ideally be avoided when used simultaneously with other QTC interval prolonging drugs. Well, and as I mentioned earlier, furthermore, patients with cancer also frequently have electrolyte imbalances, um, both due to malignancies, but also due to common gastrointestinal side effects, such as nausea, vomiting, and diarrhea. And this could also increase the risk of QTC prolongation. Thank you. So what were the main aims of your study? Thank you, uh, Marcia, for having us in your podcast, of course. Um, and before I get it to the aims of our study, it might be good uh, to start with some background on drug development. As in the early stages of drug development, all new chemical entities first undergo preclinical assessments in which the potential risk for delayed ventricular depolarization and QT interval prolongation is studied. Based on these assays, uh, drugs may have uh, may either be rejected for clinical testing or go into phase one of clinical drug development. And in 2005, both the EMA and the FDA published guidelines for the clinical evaluation of QT interval prolongation for uh, non-antiarrhythmic drugs. And ever since, it's obligatory to perform the so-called thorough QT-QTC studies or the TQT studies, and these TQT studies are usually performed in healthy volunteers, are placebo-controlled, and have a positive control drug. And uh, both sub- and supra-therapeutic drug concentrations are studied. 
and because of ethical concerns to perform such a TQT study in healthy volunteers, um, you can imagine that it's not wanted to perform such a study with anti-cancer drugs uh, using supertherapeutic concentrations. Information on the QT prolongating potential of these drugs can be scarce and very time-consuming to find. Therefore, one first aim of us re uh, first review was to give a comprehensive overview of an, the available information on QT interval prolongating drugs and especially focusing on the anti-cancer drugs and the anti-emetics. And therefore, we searched the label and all kinds of regulatory information from the FDA, such as the clinical pharmacology, medical and other reviews, and the European public assessment reports and scientific discussions of the EMA. Secondly, we searched PubMed and uh, art for articles and case reports. And we included all this relevant information on QTC prolongation in one big table, which can find uh, be found in the supplementary material. And we scored all these drugs as low, moderate, or high-risk drugs for QTC prolongation based on EMA guidelines or FDA guidelines. And as it was for us very important to help the healthcare professionals to make a balanced decision in the treatment of, and treatment of cancer patients, a secondary aim was to create a decision support tool. So this tool helps selecting the drugs with the least QTC prolongating properties and gives advice how to apply adequate monitoring in susceptible patients. So in short, um, the main two aims of this paper was to gather all information available on QT prolongation in, of anti-cancer drugs and to create such a decision support tool. So were you able to identify drugs that clearly increase the risk of QT interval prolongation? And if so, what are the indications for these drugs? So yes, we indeed identified, and as my colleague already explained, uh, we identified low, moderate and high risk drugs. But most importantly, uh, we identified a total of eight high and 14 moderate risk drugs or anti-cancer drugs uh, for prolonging the QT interval. And just to clarify in short, uh, moderate risk uh, drugs have the ability to prolong the QT interval with 5 to 20 milliseconds. Um, and high-risk drugs are defined as drugs that can pro prolong the QT interval with more than 20 milliseconds. It is, however, important to mention that with the presence of risk factors, patients could easily experience much longer QT interval prolongations when using such drugs. And as I can imagine that some are not familiar, familiar with the threshold of concern, the EMA and FDA guidelines state that the threshold of concern of the prolonged QT interval is a QT interval of more than 500 milliseconds or a change of more than 60 milliseconds from baseline with a QT interval of 450 milliseconds being the baseline reference value for male and 470 milliseconds for female. Now, to get back to your question, because which drugs actually have the potential of exceeding this threshold? Well, two examples uh, may be fondetanib and verbosaclip. Um, and fondetanib is used for the treatment of medullary thyroid cancer. And verbosaclip is a cyclin-dependent kinase for 6 inhibitor, or in short, a CDK for 6 inhibitor, um, which is used for the treatment of hormone receptor positive metastatic breast cancer. 
But next to verbosecrypt, there are actually two other CDK46 inhibitors registered for the same indication. Um, and those are abemacyclip and polbosiclip. Um, but in contrast to ribosiclip, both of these drugs are classified as low-risk drugs for prolonging the QT interval. So whenever prescribing a CDK, CDK46 inhibitor to a patient with already many risk factors present for QTC prolongation, both the overview of information and the clinical decision support tool we provide could help clinicians make a balanced decision and monitor such patients closely. So in this case, either eliminating as many risk factors as possible and prescribing rebosiclip with frequent monitoring or switching to abemaciclip and polbosiclip could both be options. It's just depending uh, dependent on the both on both the clinicians and the patient's preference, but also the patient's characteristics. Thank you. So, based on your findings, what are the main recommendations that arise from this study? Well, as said in our review, uh, we did a comprehensive. We gave a comprehensive overview of all evidence available from the drug labels. Uh, assessment reports and published literature, and we scored a total of 205 anti-cancer drugs and 40 anti-emetics. And we gave some practical uh, rec recommendations to help uh, making balanced decisions when prescribing these QTC prolongating drugs. And with assessing all this information from FDA and um, EMA, we learned that ever since these guidelines were implemented in 2005, much more information became available on QTC prolongation of anti-cancer drugs. And although this is a really a massive step forward in uh, assessing the risk on QTC prolongation, there remains to be issues in performing a proper TQT study for anti-cancer drugs. Besides the earlier mentioned possible ethical concerns of using anti-cancer drugs in healthy volunteers, it's very hard to perform a, a good TQT study. And next to it, these studies are usually performed under control circumstances in generally fit patients. So it could be very difficult to translate this information from these studies towards the oncology patient in the clinic. And as this group of patients is of course very heterogeneous um, with regard to fitness, number of co-medication, presence of comorbidities, it's almost hard to predict or maybe impossible to predict uh, to which extent these patients um, will experience QTC prolongation. And therefore, it's extremely important that the risk introduced by QTC prolongating drugs should be balanced against the risk of having, of course, cancer and the prognosis of the patient. So, I think our main recommendation is that in case of QTC prolongating drugs prescribed, uh, we would really recommend using, uh, of course, our decision support tool, um, and that it's important to minimize the amount of risk, risk factors present, as uh, my co-worker uh, told before, and closely monitor the patient by frequent electrocardiogram measurements. Once again, thank you both for agreeing to speak to us today and to all our listeners. This review is now available online at lancetoncology.com and with our September issue.